Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Hey, take your Bibles, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15. I started a sermon series last week called Christmas, and we're looking at kind of the mess we've made of Christmas. That's not in the church, it's not that we have it so wrong as it is other places. We've made a commercial juggernaut out of the Christmas holidays, and, and here's what's happened. I was thinking about this early this morning. Here, here's what's happened in our world, and you know this is where we are, that the world we live in, the culture, they are thrilled to death with Christmas. As a matter of fact, everybody celebrates Christmas with, without, uh, with all very rare exceptions uh, that celebrate Christmas. So we're fine with Christmas, and, and the reason the world is fine with Christmas is they're okay with a baby in a manger. Right, they're, they're okay that as long as they leave him in a manger, they're fine with that. But here's what we know as Christians. That is not the purpose for which Jesus came. He did not come to stay in a manger. That is not the only part of that story really that is central is that the incarnation of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, which is essential to the gospel, but that's not the end of the story. That's just the prelude to the story of this. Jesus died on the cross. And so I, I preached last week about the reason we celebrate Christmas is that we desperately needed a Savior. The second thing I want to say is this. We celebrate Christmas because we desperately need a Lord. And I'm going to preach on a passage of Scripture that you, we normally don't preach on at Christmas time. So 1 Corinthians 15, just turn there and we'll stand and read in just a moment. And for those of you watching us online, thanks for joining us online. Those of you at Rossville, thanks for joining us at the Rossville campus as well. Well, what are you going to eat at Christmas? Now, I'll tell you what we do for our Christmas dinner. On Thanksgiving, we we do the traditional turkey, ham, dressing, cranberry, all that stuff. And years ago, we used to turn around and do the same thing at Christmas. I, I wasn't mad at it when we did it years ago, but when all the kids started coming along, it turned in a lot of work. And now we just do almost like finger foods on Christmas Day. So let me ask you, how many of you go all out on Christmas Day just like you do Thanksgiving? Let me see your hand. All, yeah, some of y'all do. Uh, uh, many of you do. So they did a survey recently and determined what the number one, the most popular Christmas dishes in America are. What are the most popular Christmas dishes in America? You can't read that list. It's too far away, but I'm going to tell you what's on it. For example, potatoes of some sort made the number one and the number two category. Roast potatoes and mashed potatoes came in at number one and number two. But get this, of the top 10 on there, or the top 20 rather, Five of the top 20 are some form of potato. So let me ask the question. Let's do a survey. How many of you at Christmas will have some form of potato on the table in French fries count? Let me see your hand. You'll have some form of potato. Without a doubt. That's almost everybody. So you see, roast potatoes, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, scalloped potatoes, and potato salad all made the top 20. By far, the most represented food was a potato. But now I'm going to point out some things that I just think are oddities or just shouldn't be 
and, but one is an oddity I'm excited about. Brisket made number 21. Now, I don't know who's eating brisket, but, man, you go for it. I absolutely love that. Uh, here's one I'm very disappointed in. You can't see it, but I'll point it out. Number 29 is gravy. Well, I'm confused how you can have mashed potatoes without the gravy to go with it. Now, another one on there that's confusing to me that lets me know this was not done in the South is collard greens only made number 53. Duck outdid collard greens. And finally, there's one on here that just makes me mad. And it's the very last one on the list. Tofu made number 58. And I'm I'm glad it came in last. But 11% of the people serve tofu on on Christmas. I'll be honest. I'm one second away from calling defects on you if you were calling serving tofu to your kids at Christmas Day. Why in the world are you serving tofu? But when you look over this list, it's so interesting. There's tamales make 45 and, and empanadas make 49. Ahead of black eyed peas for some reason. Uh, seafood ranks number 28. Ahead of gravy. Seafood ranks ahead of gravy. And on and on it goes. It's just a list of the foods that you serve at Christmas with some oddities in there. But here's what we know. The undisputed champion of Christmas is not turkey, is not bread, is not stuffing, is potatoes. The two top spots, five in the top 20. Can I say it this way? The Lord of the Christmas table is the potato. And in an awful segue, let me say, potatoes may be the Lord of the Christmas table, but Jesus is the Lord of Christmas. There's a lot that goes on around Christmas time, but at the top of the list is this, Jesus is Lord. We become fixated with images of Jesus as a baby in a manger, and it overshadows the Lord Jesus who rose from the grave. Now, nothing wrong with Jesus in a manger. Nothing wrong with us telling our kids about the incarnation. It's a vital part of Christmas. What is wrong is that the world wants to leave him in a manger. But can I tell you, Christmas is as much about the cross and Christmas is as much about the resurrection as it is about a baby in a manger. We had to have a Savior to die on the cross and be the sacrifice for our sins. But we had to have a Lord who is the Lord over death, hell, and the grave, and the Lord over our lives. And our culture's made a mess out of Christmas because we fixate in a baby when we ought to be fascinated by the Lord Jesus and the resurrection Jesus. So let me do something different today. Let me, let me before Christmas, talk about the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 50. And it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles or if you're watching at home. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 50. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet for the 
trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I want you to go back and we're going to read verse 57 and 58 again because it's really where all of my preaching is going to come from today. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you. You may be seated. These verses that I read are the classic passage on the resurrection that, I'll be honest with you, I've often preached on Easter, but the problem is we have this tendency to leave Jesus on a manger, even sometimes to leave Jesus on the cross. And we forget at Christmas time that Jesus is actually Lord. Now, get this, he is actually your Lord today. If you know Jesus as Savior, the Christian life is about surrendering to more and more of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Christmas reminds us that we had to have a Savior, but it didn't end at the cross. We also had to have a Lord. What does it mean? When we say Jesus is Lord, what does it mean when we say this baby in a manger was born to be our Lord? There are four things these two verses tell us about Jesus as Lord. Number one, it means this, that our number one enemy is defeated. Our number one enemy is defeated. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, this morning, you have enemies. The Bible is plain that we have common foes that we all have to fight and each of those foes use different tactics to sneak into our life and destroy our lives and destroy our walk with God. What are our foes? Well, the Bible is very plain. Number one, there is the world is our foe. That is the the world that we live in. That is the culture in which we live is our enemy. This system of influence that are, are is around us it is, is a system that is our enemy. Now look at this. We don't fight them. We have to fight them off. Because we are permeated with the thinking of our culture. We are, we are permeated with the influence of our culture. Their thinking will try to creep into your life and ruin your relationship with God. And their thinking will, their, their living will try to creep into your life and ruin your walk with God and their influence and their morality. This world we live in, hear me, the world you see on television is not your friend. And when you try to model your life after somebody you see on the screen, When you try to model your family after a family you see on the screen, hear me, they are your enemy. And the world will attack your 
Christian life. But not only is the world our enemy, we know the Bible tells us that our own flesh is our enemy. Our own human nature. Do you know who your biggest enemy is? It's you. Do you know most of your problems emanate from you? Most of the bad spots you find yourself in in life, most of them, I'm not saying all of them, obviously, because of our other enemies, but most of the problems in your life are problems of your own making. Bad decisions that you made, bad choices that you made, bad things that you do, bad thoughts that you have, bad words that you say. You are your own worst enemy, the flesh. But number three, the third enemy we have is the devil. The devil is real. And by the way, he has a demonic horde that the devil and the demons are very, very real. And the Bible tells this, that he is continually shooting fiery darts at us, that he is continually laying traps for us, that he is continually, the word the Bible uses in the Greek is schemata, it is a scheme, it is a schematic that he has in order to ruin your life. The enemy is coming after you, so hear me, they'll attack you emotionally and try to get you all upset, down or discouraged, angry or whatever it may be. They'll attack you spiritually. All of our enemies will. will attack you spiritually and try to ruin your walk with God. They'll attack you mentally and try to get into your head and get your thoughts where they should not need to be. They'll attack you with depression and discouragement and trying to drag you down. And hear me, they'll attack you relationally, trying to upset all of the relations in your life. And I'll be honest, day-to-day life is a landmine. that It's like walking a field full of landmines of enemies trying to come come at you to get you to fall and fail in the Christian life. You have enemies. And traps are everywhere and all the time. But that's not even the worst enemy you have. The worst enemy you have, Paul wrote about again in this chapter, verse 15. He said, for he must reign, speaking of Jesus, until he puts all of his enemies under his feet, And the last enemy to be abolished is death. All all those other enemies I mentioned, the world, your flesh, and the devil, all they're trying to do is get you to right here. All they're trying to do is uh, escort you to your number one enemy. Your number one enemy is death. Two kinds of death. Number one, there is physical death. That is, you die in this body and your life ceases to exist. We see that. We see it all around us. We see it all around us every day. We've seen it in our own family. We've experienced it. Look, as you age and get older, physical death becomes more and more of a reality where you come to grips with the idea you are going to die. But that's not the only kind of death. Number two, there is a spiritual death. In Revelations, the Bible calls it the second death, the final hell, where you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You will spend eternity in what Revelations call the lake of fire, dying forever and ever and ever. It is a continual, eternal, spiritual death that you'll never get away from if you don't know Jesus as Savior. And those enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil— are all trying to usher you as quickly as they can into these two. 
My wife and I got in a theological discussion yesterday on the way to uh, her sister's grave. We went down for a laying of the wreath on her grave. We saw a car accident in front of us, and it led to a theological discussion about death and dying. And we, we started talking about uh, 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 when uh, Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, uh, God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And so Adam interpreted that in all probability as a literal immediate death, but that's not what God meant. God meant on the day you eat that, you'll introduce death into the world. And by the way, the farther away from Adam we get, the more death has spread like a cancer. And it's physical death and it's spiritual death. This is a problem because you're going to die. And what are you going to do? What's going to happen to you after you die? This is a problem because if you die without taking care of your eternity, this spiritual death never, ever ends. It is a problem. You say, well, preacher, point number one has been kind of rough so far. Where's the good news? The good news is in verse 57 where Paul said this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the victory over the death he talked about in verse 25. Because Christmas is a celebration, not because Jesus is a baby, but because Jesus rose from the dead and death has been defeated for us. Hey, listen, physical death has been defeated. The psalmist saw it happening in Psalm 23 years ago. And the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your sting? Hey, I you were not, will not be touched by physical death. Oh, this, this physical body has to lay down, but we get a new one on the other side. And then we'll not be touched by spiritual death. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, if you know him as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you have accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary and with an empty tomb, here's what the Bible says in Revelations 20, in that same verse passage where it talks about spiritual death, here's what, here's what John said, the revelator, he said this, that those whose names were found written in the Lamb's book of life, hey, guess what? They're going to be all right. Because Jesus has defeated death. They laid him dead on a cross. They took him down from a cross, laid him dead in a tomb. But three days later, he rose again. Hear me this morning, church, wherever you're watching online, wherever you may be, death is trying to get to you physically. Death is trying to get to you spiritually. And it's using the world. And it's using your flesh. And it's using the devil And they are all just minions of death. Hear me. Don't play nice with death. He's coming after you. I saw this story. uh, It seems like sometimes I put a lot of mug shots up on uh, on the screen. But I saw the story and it struck me as apropos maybe to the sermon that two years ago or not long ago this this lady named Kim Shaheen I, I don't know how to say this I guess I'm allowed to say this um uh, to a national tv audience you know or online audience but she threw dog poo poo at her neighbor 
And it's weird because she's an elementary school principal. And so she stood at her neighbor and then she peppered her, his house apparently with dog poo and, and she got in trouble for it. They called the law on her, found her guilty. And, and part of the court order of her crime was she had to write an apology to her neighbor. And it's online. You can go, you can go read it online. It's a good, nice, heartfelt public apology. And you would have thought, well, it's over. Well, it's just, what a sweet letter. Maybe just like having a bad day. I mean, after all, grammar school kids can drive anybody crazy if you get around enough of them, right? Like, I mean, I get it. I get it. And so um, part of the court order, she had to write that apology. She wrote a really nice one. It was beautiful and, and all that. But it was a trick. Because when she saw her neighbor out walking his dog on the street, she then tried to run over him with her BMW while he was out on the street. And now they think the letter maybe, maybe was just a guise to lure their neighbor out to safety so she could then run over him with her car. And I thought, you know, that's exactly what the enemy does to us. I don't think she was really sorry. I think she was just luring him out to get a good shot at him when he got out of the house the next time around. And hear me. That's exactly what the, our enemies do to us. Our enemies, it'd be so, be so good if the world came out and said, I'm your enemy, I'm trying to hurt you. If the flesh came out and said, hey, don't trust me. Don't trust those cravings, I'm trying to kill you. It'd be better if the devil said, hey, I'm just clocking in today. Once you know me and the demons, we're going to try to kill you before you get to work today and get you to do something stupid and ruin your life. We're just letting you know, cha-ching, we'll see you for the next eight hours. No, they don't do that. You know what the culture does and your flesh does? They try to lure you in. And the world says, we love you. And you find that they love you as long as you think like them, act like them, talk like them, and do like them. Your flesh will tell you, just do what makes you happy. The devil will tell you that his way is the happiest way, but all they're trying to do is to lure you out so they can run over you. All they're trying to do is pave the way for death to run over you. And Jesus came along and Jesus said, our final enemy has been defeated. Let's get in our minds Jesus out of a manger. It was great that he was born in a manger. The incarnation is a beautiful uh, point of Christianity. But more important is Jesus rose from the dead. And our enemies have been defeated. Death has been defeated. Hell has been defeated. Grave has been defeated. There is no physical death for the child of God. There's no spiritual death for the child of God. We needed a Lord and Christmas gave us one. Listen, you're listening to me today and you're letting all of your enemies run over you. And you think you're on the right road. You think that they love you. Listen, our number one enemy has been defeated. So don't listen to our enemies here. Because Jesus is Lord. That means, listen, you can be a fearless Christian. That means you can withstand your enemies. That means you don't have to back down to the culture. That you can overcome your sin. That means you can be victorious because Jesus has been victorious. Enemy number one has been defeated. Here's the second thing it tells me. i got to preach a little faster. Number, number two, it tells me, don't give up, verse 58. 
Here's what he said in verse 58. Be steadfast, unmovable. Two interesting words, steadfast and unmovable. Let me give you a good definition of these two words. Hang on. Steadfast means don't turn aside in the Greek. But get this. I just didn't notice this until I did a little research on this. Unmovable means don't be turned aside. Subtle difference. Steadfast, don't you turn aside. Unmovable, don't you be turned aside. One is an internal admonition. One is an external admonition. Don't turn aside. Don't be turned aside. Here's what that means. Because Jesus is our Lord, if you know him as Lord and Savior, do not give Can we be honest and say the world we live in can be discouraging to the Christian faith? Can we just be honest and say they don't like us a whole lot? To which I say, it's not me, it's you. It's it's all their problem, not mine. I'm likable. It's not me they don't like. It's, It's our theology, our relationship with God they don't like. They don't like us a whole lot. And it can be discouraging to the Christian faith. We can get knocked down, but never out. Let's be honest. If you'll be honest this morning, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Haven't you felt like giving up on the Christian life before? I mean, there have been times you've got up at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning or 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning or whatever time you get up and you've been like, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it or not. I, I don't know if, I mean... My neighbors don't go to church. My friends don't go to church. They, they don't do all this stuff. What if, I, what if I just gave up? And our circumstances get us down and we want to give up. Our relationships get us down and we want to get up. Our emotions get discouraged and we want to give up. Grief overtakes us and we want to give up. Confusion about life overtakes us and we want to give up. Hear me. You hang in there. Don't ever give up because Jesus is Lord. Here's what that means. You have victory and you never have to give up. That means if you win today, go back out and fight the devil tomorrow because Jesus is Lord. Here's what it means. If you lose today, go back out tomorrow and live for Jesus. Don't quit. Don't back down. Don't give up. Keep at it because Jesus is Lord. Don't ever give up. I, I saw this story, uh, and I just, I love people who, again, I, I started to put a guy's mugshot up here, and I thought too many mugshots in one sermon, so I, I don't want to put a, another mugshot up here. Um, but uh, police in Fountain Valley, California, responded to a bank robbery. This was the bank that was robbed. They said a guy walked in with a large, walked out rather, with a large amount of cash. And here's a weird thing. I can't even believe you can get by with this. They had absolutely no leads on who the guy might be. And so I, you know there are cameras everywhere. You know there's cameras on the streets. Somehow that guy evaded all those or disguised himself or whatever he did. And this dude walked into the bank, walked out with a bag full of cash, and which is hard to do, successfully robbed a bank and police came out and said we have no idea don't have the first lead don't know who that is again well that was on one day the very next day the bank calls the police again the police get there a little faster and they said we're being robbed 
And when the police got there, the thief was still there. His name was Samuel Brown. He was 33 years old. And the teller said, this is the same dude that robbed a bank yesterday. So I guess his thinking was, if it worked one day, let me just do it again the next day. To which I say, good for you, Samuel. Man, that's pretty cool, I think. If you get by with robbing a bank, sure enough, just go back out on Tuesday and do it again. I at least admire his tenacity. And wish we had Christians with a little bit of the same. That's a bad segue, but you know what I mean. You know what? You may whip the devil today. Don't give up. He's coming again tomorrow. Go back out and do it tomorrow. Some of you may, lose, may have lost the devil yesterday or the flesh or the world. Don't give up. Go back out and win tomorrow. Hold your head high. I know some of you in the room thinking, well, 2020, preacher, wasn't the best year. And I thought 2021 was going to be a better year, and 2021's not been a good year at all. Now I'm looking at 2022, and, and, and I, you've been seeing these funny memes around the internet, right? Like, like nobody claimed 2022 is your year. We're all going to walk in real slow, be good, be quiet, cautious and respectful, don't touch anything. It's cute. I, I, saw, I saw this one. Before I agree to 2022, I need to see some terms and conditions, right? I like, like that's how, listen to me. As a child of God, I don't care what 2022 brings. Hear me, you have victory. That means you don't give up no matter how bad it gets in 2022. That means you don't give up on your walk with God. You don't give up on reading your Bible. You don't give up on your prayer life. You don't give up on Jesus or the church or your family or your marriage. Don't give up. Be steadfast, unmovable. Don't turn aside. Don't be turned aside. Jesus is Lord. Number three, let me just say it quickly. I'll, I'll hit this point quickly. Number three, Paul said, because Jesus is Lord, don't slow down. Look, look what he said in verse 58. Always excelling in the work of the Lord. Always excelling. Excelling there in the Greek means to have abundance or to be overflowing or rich in. Can I tell you this this morning? The Christian life ain't just defense. The Christian life is offense as well. When it comes to serving the Lord, we ought to have, here's what Paul would say, when it comes to serving the Lord, we ought to have an abundance of accomplishment for the kingdom of God. Every person who is a child of God ought to be finding your place to serve, ought to be going the extra mile, ought to be doing the extra three thing, ought to be meeting the extra need. Don't slow down. Hear me, when life gets busy, don't say, hear me, don't say when things slow down, I'll do something for the Lord. Can I let you know a secret? Things are never going to slow down. Never. I know some of you with little kids, you think, well, my kids are so small when they grow up. Uh, life won't be as busy. Uh, can I tell you? Not true. Some of you get near retirement and slowing down. Don't slow down. Don't slow down. Christian life is never intended to slow down. We're to be on the offense, defense fighting off our enemies, but we're to be on the offense in the Christian life, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Paul didn't say, unless you're busy. You know why? 
We're all busy. He was busy. That leads me to the fourth thing I want to say in this. I'm finished. Number four, because Jesus is Lord, you can make a difference. Notice what he said, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Boy, that's an important phrase, your labor in the Lord. Now, now close your Bibles. Let me just let me talk to you as I finish up this sermon. And everything you need, I'll, I'll put it on the screen. Now, verse... First uh, Corinthians 15, we, we call it the resurrection chapter in the Bible. It's really not. It's really not. It is what I would call the not in vain chapter in your Bible. Paul uses the resurrection as evidence that what we do is not in vain. And so here's what Paul says in those 58 verses. Paul said, you have not believed in vain. You have not hoped in vain. And now Paul ends the chapter with the word, now, therefore, so Paul is saying, now everything I've said before has led to verses 57 and really verse 58. Paul said, I, I told you all that just to tell you this. Paul said, you've not worked in vain. Not just worked, but your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, Paul is trying to tell us that you can make a difference in this world for all of eternity. The Apostle Paul has been dealing with the grandiose themes of the resurrection, the coming of Jesus, the, the afterlife in heaven. And he's, he's now come down from those lofty heights. And here's, here's what he said. I'm just using the Joel Sutherland version. JSV, he says, your everyday work and warfare in the Christian life matters. Paul is summing up this Jesus is Lord passage. You've not believed in vain. You've not hoped in vain. And now you've not worked in vain. Paul is telling you that your everyday work and warfare in the Christian life, it matters. Hear me. That means reading your Bible matters. That means your praying matters. That means your witnessing matters. That means your tithing and your giving matters. That means your church attendance matters. That your serving matters. That you're training your children to love God. That matters. It means loving your spouse matters. It means having a godly home matters. It means saying no to good things so you can say yes to God things matters. It means reaching out and helping others matters. It all matters. Christmas tells me that my work and warfare in this life does matter. One day I'll stand before God and I don't want to be there empty-handed. And can, I, can I tell you about the Christian life? Oh, hear me, hear me. The work of the Christian life is never going to scream at you. It's never going to force you. It's never going to intrude on you. But when you stand before God one day, and we all will, we don't want to be there without something in our hands that indicated the Christian life mattered to you. A Danish artist in 2010 produced a work of art called the, An Average Danish Annual Income. I'm finished. 
And then he produced a work of art called an average Austrian annual income in 2007. And so in order to create that work of art, he used actual cash from those two countries to create the work of art. And so a museum came to him and said, hey, we want you to recreate that. They were having a special emphasis, and they said, we want you to recreate a work of art. And they gave him the equivalent of $84,000, a bag of cash, and said, we want you to recreate that work of art with this cash and incorporate it into your art. So he did. And he shipped it to them. And when he shipped it to them, he sent them a note. He said, I've changed the title of the work. And when they opened the artwork, there were two blank canvases with no money attached. And he said, I've changed the title of the work to, and I quote, take the money and run. I just find that hilarious. Take the money and run. And he did. He took the money and ran. The art curator said, well, we hope he returns it eventually. But he took the money and ran. And some Christians do that with their salvation. They take it and run. They're glad they're saved. You're glad you're not going to hell. You're glad for the Holy Spirit, but you have no thought or investment in eternity. Would you stand with me this morning? Here's what Paul was trying to say in verse 58. Jesus is Lord. You can make a difference. Don't take your salvation and run. Get busy because your labor is not in vain. We don't just serve a baby in a manger. We serve a risen Lord. And so the question is, is he Lord of your life? That's the big question. The big question today is for those who are saved. Is he Lord of your life? Oh, he is, but have you surrendered to that? Are you playing around with Jesus or have you gone all in on Jesus? There's some of you here this morning that even this morning you felt like giving up. There's some of you here today that this year you felt like slowing down. Jesus said, don't give up, don't slow down. You make a difference if you'll do it. Are you living in the victory that the Lord Jesus provides for all of us? He is Lord. All of our enemies are defeated. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And one of the things about Christmas is when we think about Jesus at Christmas time, we think about him as the baby lying in a manger. And, and really, that's what we're celebrating. But the Christmas story is so much more. The Christmas story is the story of Jesus. Pastor Joel last week talked about us needing a Savior. Um, this week he talked about us needing a Lord and really that's what the Christmas story is about. 
Jesus is a conquering king, not just a baby in a manger, but a conquering king. And he came to give us victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. That's really what we celebrate. And perhaps you're watching this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never made him the Lord of your life. As Pastor Joel mentions, it begins with us understanding that we're sinners and that we have broken God's law and our sin has separated us from God. We've got to be willing to admit that. We've got to believe that Jesus came as a baby in the manger, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, making a way uh, for us to again have relationship with Jesus. We've got to believe that. And third, we've got to confess Him as our Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never done that this morning, I want to invite you to do that. So uh, if, if God spoke in your heart, you need to give your heart and life to Him. Uh, bow your heads with me just now and tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that to you and I, I want to tell you that I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again, making a way for me uh, to have victory uh, in my life and have a relationship with Jesus. Lord, I believe that and right now I confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I want to tell you, welcome to the family. Hey, we want to connect with you. We want to send you some resources. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so if you would, if you prayed that prayer and gave your heart and life to Christ this morning, pull out your phone and text just your name to 423-800-1871. That comes directly to my cell phone. I would love to talk to you even this afternoon um, about the decision that you've made this morning. Hey, it has been great to be in God's house. Don't forget our uh, Christmas Eve service coming up next week. It's been awesome to be together. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.